Welcome to the Christine Spray Show, bringing you insights and stories from successful CEOs to help grow your business and increase your revenue. The Christine Spray Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Christine Spray. Hi, I am Christine Spray, and welcome to another episode of the Christine Spray Show. For this episode, we have a guest host, David Spray, who is interviewing John Bonner, president of First Continental Investment Company in Houston, Texas. In this episode, Dave and John discuss John's background and the story behind him forming his company 28 years ago. John's company provides financing to residential land developers and home buildings. Although it may seem like a commodity business, especially with the unprecedented liquidity in the lending markets, it turns out he is not in a commodity business. Rather, his business relies on relationships, repeat business, and being committed to honoring the commitments that he and the company make. John also talked about his own personal and professional development and why Vistage International plays such a critical role in that endeavor. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, John. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, David. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for making time for to be on the podcast. My pleasure. So let's let's get right into it. So I'm an accountant by training, so I'm kind of a chronological or learner. So let's start at the beginning. You from Houston originally? Yes, sir. Born and raised Houston, Texas. You are. You're like the only. I think there's only like ten of you in this place. Seems like <laughs> everyone else, like me, moved here. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I was born in St. Joseph Hospital. Oh, right downtown. Sixty-two years ago. Yep. That's awesome. And then you went to school here, you know, high school yes. and such? Yes. Went to Stratford High School and on the west side of town and graduated from there and went to Stephen F. Austin. Okay. And what did you study there at Stephen F. Austin? Finance and economics. Okay. And then when you got out, did you find gainful employment when you graduated? Yes. My first job out of college was building apartments. I was assistant superintendent, which kind of built on my 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 pre-college and high school experience, which was at a framing crew, framing homes back in when I was 16 years old out in the first colony area in Southwest Houston and, and had the crew that built concrete piers under the docks for the Sealand port, I guess you would call it in the Port of Houston. So, oh, wow. Uh, kind of took that construction background and, and started building apartments. So I've got to, got to just ask you there. So how did you end up at 16 years old running a fa- framing crew? Was this your business or were you an employee of somebody? Or Well, I, I started off as an employee for somebody and, and then they got real busy and allowed me to get my own crew together and start framing some homes. Wow, what a great entrepreneurial opportunity at such a young age. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was great. It was I loved it. It was a wonderful feeling to get up and be out on the site before the sun comes up and you know we walk out to a empty concrete slab and by the end of the day we'd have the whole first floor framed and uh we it was a really I enjoyed it. I loved being outside and working with my hands, although I'm a 
I'm terrible at it today. I just don't have patience for it. <laughs> so I'm not the handiest guy in the world around the house at all, but, but I did enjoy that. And I could see why I, you know, my, my parents were always into, into kind of homes under construction <clears throat> in our neighborhood growing up. So it seems like our, our family outings on weekends involved walking through houses that were framed and trying to figure out what was what. And, it's kind uh, of funny you. It's funny you say that. When I was, I was probably four years old. We moved to West Houston. I think we were the first house in the subdivision, and so uh, I used to feel like my friends were all the concrete crews because there was no one to play with. So I'd go out and watch all the other houses get built, which was a pretty cool thing. Watching the trucks and the framers and everybody build the homes. But uh, so I had a, I kind of had it stain early on, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. That's and what neighborhood was that? It was Memorial Acres out by Kirkwood and okay. uh, and Memorial. Yeah. Okay, yep, I know exactly where that is. That was out there when ZZ Top their first song out in the sticks off of Highway 6. That was uh, you know out by where I grew up. Yeah, that area has sure uh, changed a lot since you guys mm-hmm. were the first house in the neighborhood, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It really has. Yeah. So, okay. So back to the story. So you were an assistant superintendent built, was that right? Was it superintendent? Yes. Building mm-hmm. apartments. Right. And then how did you get from there to a first continental investment company? Well, I wanted a little different environment and I loved it. I loved, I loved being out there, but I wanted a little different environment and getting a different perspective on uh, the construction business and the you know residential building world. And so I went to work for a group called Commonwealth Financial Group in 1983, graduated from college in 82. So I was about a little over a year as a assistant superintendent and I went to work Commonwealth Financial Group, they had a savings loan and a mortgage company and an REIT and an insurance company. Okay. And and I was, so I, I got into the builder finance group at the time. That's where I started. And, you know, you typically start off doing inspections and draws, you know, mm-hmm. lending money to home builders and multifamily developers and, and subdivision development. But so you start off learning it from the bottom up. And I guess the inspections and the draws, as I understand it, they have certain milestones that when they cross that, they, they get some more money for the next phase of the project. Is that yes. about right? Yes. That's correct. So that's why the inspections needed, right? You've got to go out because you don't want to just rely on them saying, we're ready for, uh, for some more money to go to the next stage. You kind of want to make sure they spent the first batch of money like they said they were, I guess, huh? That's exactly right. Yeah. You don't want to over get over advanced. You don't want your loan over advanced and you don't want to be 50% complete when the house is really 20% complete. Right, right. So that's not a good situation to be in as a lender. Okay. So you were at Commonwealth then and uh, and doing those inspections and draw overseeing. And and then where did it it go from there? Well, uh, I moved my way up to where I was a, became a loan officer. And and that was in the early eighties, which was a real interesting time. It's fascinating how it's kind of similar to today in so many ways. You know, you had the you had the baby boomer generation, which was the largest home buying generation ever up to that point, was getting out of college and forming families and buying homes. 
mm-hmm. tremendous demand for homes and and uh, but and then inflation kicked in and uh, and it you know brought a bunch of turmoil to the home building business you know Paul Volcker took interest rates up to you know mid teens to buy a home and uh, and that along with some other things um resulted in you know real high volatility for the home building industry and uh, and was by the epicenter of it was Houston Texas yeah, yeah, the oil and gas downturn at the same time. Right. And then you also had the, this gets a little detailed, but you have the 1982 Deregulation and Monetary Control Act, which was what I wrote my senior finance paper on at Stephen F. Austin. But that uh, basically deregulated the savings and loans, and, uh, and they, they were, there was a fixed amount of interest they could pay out on deposits. And there was a fixed amount of interest they could collect on loans. Okay. And uh, and then as interest rates started going up, all the money started flowing out of the SNL industry, disintermediation. Mm. And and because of that, they deregulated them. And, uh, they, and so they all jumped into the same business as the banks, basically, you know, making floating rate loans and which was you know development, which was development loans and. So there was back then there was seventeen thousand banks and savings and loans, and I'm getting way out over my skis, but they're not over my skis, but I'm getting ahead of my story, I guess, a little bit. But to fast forward you to today, there's five thousand, about five thousand banks and savings and loans. So, you know, more than two thirds of them have gone away, and that's been a forty year trend, and it's been a one year trend. Three hundred of them went away in the last year, give or take. And so if that 300 keeps going away for the next five years, if that trend continues, that'll be a, you know, almost a third or 30% of the ones that are out there today. But like I said, I'm getting ahead of myself. But uh, so after I spent some time at Commonwealth Financial Group, I guess it was two or three years, the problems, all these problems I'm talking about, you know, inventory and every, you know, housing inventory, everything started to kind of show pretty severe overbuilding and and then the high interest rates and they they changed the tax laws and some other things that cut back demand a lot mm. so and it was about that time you know like let me see that would have been 85 6 something like that the chairman and vice chairman of commonwealth financial group it was the two vice chairman of commonwealth financial group asked me to leave with them and take that REIT and we changed the name from Commonwealth Financial Group REIT to First Continental REIT. And we went and operated that for about five years until about 1989. But, and at First Continental REIT was a mortgage REIT which mm-hmm. formed back in the mid seventies. So, and, and what we did was make all kinds of short term, you know, you know, Two and one to one to three year kind of loans to there were development loans to build okay. apartments to build office buildings to build retail centers develop subdivisions finance the development of of how build you know finance home builders to build homes and, and so it was a lot you know the banking system back in the eighties early eighties was capitalized twenty to one so all you had to have was about five percent capital to meet regulatory requirements in the regulated industry, the banks and savings loans. Well, our REIT was capitalized, was never more than two to one 
leverage. Okay. So we got beat up pretty bad with everything, but we had to depth the capital that allowed us to work our way through it, through the problems. And so the, the, my mentors in the business, Billy Ed Daniels and Joe Lynch were, you know, my first mentor. I've been really lucky in my life to have a, an unbelievable group of people that have been around me to help me out and teach me and bring me along. But they used to always tell me how fortunate I was to be going through such tough times at such an early age. So I really spent, after about two year, two or three years of being a lender at Commonwealth and First Continental REIT, I really spent the next decade working out of problems. And that's where I really learned the business. So, so anyway, so we operated First Continental REIT until about 1989. And then my mentors, and, and this is another one named Dan Arnold, who had been the chairman of First Citibank and a, one of the senior partners at Vincent Elkins. And he, had, he helped put together a group that bought Farm and Home Savings, which was about a $3.5 billion savings and loan at that time that was sick, but it wasn't, it wasn't dead. It didn't get killed with the, all the other savings loans. And and they hired me, and along with my original mentors. One of them had passed away about that time, but Joe Lynch was the vice chairman, and Dan Arnold was the chairman, and they hired me to, number one, clean up the problems, and number two, to kind of help get a builder finance group started, and a lot development lending group, and a multifamily lending group, and, and a commercial real estate lending group, and help with the mortgage part of the business a little bit, too. But uh, and that was a fantastic experience for me because, you know, I got to see what it takes to go in and buy a, a sick business and clean it up and turn it around. And it was a very positive uh, acquisition for us in 1989. Even though I was 29 years old, we cleaned it up, turned it around and had a very positive sell on the deal, you know, a real, real positive return in a five-year period. Okay. And we sold it to, and during that period, I had taken our troubled assets from about $400 million down to about, you know, $15 million, I believe it was, and which was one of the biggest problems they had. And then we had put in place some real, well, one of the largest builder finance groups in, uh, in probably in the country at that time. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, and then we put in at that time a non-recourse residential lot development lending business, which was real interesting because we were, you know, we had a group of, of, that was about the time the FDIC was being, was taken over the FSLIC. So our first year in, in business, there was a, we had an exam from the FSLIC and they were, and then the FDIC came in and checked them and okay. two exams and then they, they didn't agree. So they both came back again. Oh <laughs> so no. That was my job to uh, handle all the examiners along with everything else. But anyway, it taught me a lot about the lending business, taught me a lot about what not to do. And so anyway, that's, so we had the farm at home experience. It was very positive. Uh, and in night, let me see, think about this. 1994, we sold it five years into the cleanup. 
And uh, the chairman and vice chairman, Dan Arnold and Joe Lynch, said they would, you know, back me and start a new business. So we moved into this office room right now, and uh, which was, I guess, about 27, 28 years ago, and started our current business. Wow. Well, that's that's quite a story. And so how are you all capitalized? Do you have, is it set up as a REIT? Do you just have credit lines you draw upon? Do you have investors? You know, to the extent you can disclose it, you know, publicly. Yeah. Yes. All the above. <laughs> okay. We, well, let me, let me back up. So when we started the business here, we weren't sure exactly what we were going to be, what we were going to do. We moved into this office and I had a six month, no, I had a six month uh, severance package. And we said, well, you know, leave some office space, come over here and see if we can figure out what we want to do. And we went out and we tied up a, a piece of land or two. And we were thinking about being developers and developing it. And, you know, it, it was going to take three years to get back our money and another two, three years to make our money on it. And at about that time, we had some people come to us and tell us they were uh, interested in buying these uh, deals that we had under contract. And, but they couldn't get financing for them, so or the, the kind of financing they wanted. And again, this was 1994, so we were coming out of those tough times when all the savings loans and banks, you know, that's when they came up with the Texas ratio, which was basically a comparison of, of the troubled assets in a bank or savings loan to the capital. Mm-hmm. And it exceeded 100%. And or got close to 100%, and that's when they put them on the watch list. Probably before that, but but so anyway, it was hard to get lot development loans, especially non-recourse. So we we sold those two pieces of ground and financed them, took a note back, and we got our you know origination fee the day we closed, and then we got interest the next month, and that helped me a lot as a 34 year old with four kids, and you know because all of a sudden I, we had income the first month. Wow. Right, and it felt good. The vice chairman and you know my, my two partners at the time, Dan Arnold and Joe Lynch, were basically my our investors at the time, and and so that that's kind of when we that's how we made our first loan or two or three here at at First Continental. I'm not even sure at that time we had the name First Continental, but it but anyway the investment felt good. Hmm. And uh, the returns were good, and we really liked the business, and so we decided to go out and bring in another partner. And uh, and our philosophy's always been over the 28 years is that you know our whoever our partners were uh, so important. I mean, they you know just they needed to have the money to be our partner, and we wanted them to bring something other than the money, meaning experience, expertise, industry knowledge you know, something other than the money. And maybe most importantly is we want to be the kind of people you want to hang out with in business. And we want to be people you want to, you enjoy being with. And so, and we've, since that first partner we added, that's kind of, we've just kind of added our partners over the last 28 years as we needed to. Our capital is we were a limited partnership and our capital but our capital was permanent in nature back when we started the business there was you had to have a limited life on a limited partnership 
to get the tax passed through tax benefits of it. Okay. You don't anymore, but after that limited life, I forget what it was, 20, 21 years or whatever, all of our partners stepped up to continue the business. Didn't step up. They, you know, they all expressed the desire to continue the business. But so our capitalization has been something that we just kind of done, you know, as we saw the opportunity to grow, we would go out to our existing partners and offer the investment to them. And then we would always kind of cultivate one or two outside partners that we thought would be great partners to have. And we would invite them in as needed and when the opportunities arose. And so, you know, and thanks so much to, you know, Dan Arnold and Joe Lynch, who were the you know partners I started the business with. Because you know, I was, you know, when we started, I was 34 and, you know, I didn't know any of these people and, but they did. And so we capitalized on their relationships. And as it, you fast forward through all that to today, you know, I mean, our partners have combined assets under management or net worth on their balance sheets, probably between 20 and $50 billion dollars. But and they're just spectacular, smart people that have been through the cycles and just done, you know, been amazing business minds through the decades. So well, that's one of our strengths is, is our capitalization and partnerships. And our okay. Partners. Yeah. No, that's that is really interesting. Yeah, I don't know a lot about the the land development business, so I find that really interesting. You know what else is interesting? I believe you all are located at fifty seven eighteen Westheimer, right? Yes. Uh huh. Do you remember when that building was called MCO Plaza? Yes, I do. Yeah. So I officed in that building twice in oh, the early nineties, and then again in the late nineties. And I remember in the late 90s, I actually had one of the higher floors that had a balcony off of it. Oh, yeah. Great. Great. Like I think maybe the 19th floor or something. And uh, and it was great because I was single at the time. I hadn't met my wife. And it was one of my favorite places for a to bring a date to in the evening that didn't cost much money. (laughs) But they they found it kind of cool to go up there and look at the city and Oh yeah, yeah, great views looking looking east towards downtown. See the Galleria, it, the medical center. Exactly. Yeah, the Astrodome and uh, yeah, everything. It's what's great. I love the view. Spectacular. Yeah, and but, the balcony uh, was huge. It was like yeah. I had one of several doors that accessed it, but it was like you know, it was like a eighty by thirty balcony. I mean, it was just huge. Yeah, but, that's interesting. You know, another thing we've done as kind of a side businesses through throughout the years has been we've always had an interest in uh, some other kind of financial services company banks savings loans mortgage companies we've always had some of those so so when we moved into this building my partners all owned a controlling interest in what was Texas Capital Bank back then okay. in, the, in the lobby? I don't know if you remember it or not, but there, this was their home office at that time. And, and our group had a controlling interest in it. And the chairman of Texas Capital Bank at that time was, and this is not the same Texas Capital Bank today, 
we ended up merging that bank into what's now Capital One. Uh, okay. But a long time ago, I think we mer- I forget the first bank we merged it into. But anyway, it's been merged a couple of times into what's Capital One today. But, hmm. uh, but so we had an interest in that bank. We had an interest in, we've had an interest in a mortgage company called First Continental Mortgage that originated about $2 billion in mortgage originations last year. Oh, wow. And then we had an interest in the right bank for Texas that we merged into Allegiance Bank. Okay. Uh, yep. And which is went public about that time. And then we had an interest in another bank before that that we merged into uh, another bank. But anyway, and I had the benefit of serving on most of those boards and and you know, being involved in in you know a lot of strategy and you know, culture for those banks. So that's been a something I've really enjoyed and given me a perspective on uh, on you know regional and national economics and and uh, what's going on in our business. Okay. So, well, well, thank you for that background. Now I'd like to drill just a little more into kind of the nuts and bolts of your business, because again, I don't know a lot about this, but so correct me if I'm wrong, but as I understand it, that, that uh, if somebody doesn't know you and your team, they might think that there are two opportunities for land development financing would be a traditional bank loan or going to like a hard money lender. Is that about right? Well, sort of. Okay. Please educate me. Well, in the, you know, let me say that when there's no, if residential lots are highly volatile, let me try to give you an idea. If you have 100 lots in the subdivision and you're selling three per month, that's okay. 36 a year, 36 lots a year, that's about a three-year supply of lots. If home sales, like let's say in the 80s in Houston, Texas, went from, I want to say 30, 30 35,000 homes a year down to maybe 7,000. So that was almost up. You know, let's just say that was an a, almost an eighty percent pullback for a period of time. Let's just say if they cut back at fifty percent. If it's a fifty percent pullback, then those then instead of selling thirty six lots a year, you're selling what is that eighteen lots a year. So that hundred that those hundred lots become more than a five or almost a six year supply of lots. Okay. So so and when they become that when they get stretched out too much, there's, it, 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 you know, builders are carrying them on their balance sheet. That's where they take the biggest hits. You can discount a house and sell it usually pretty quick. But, you know, I mean, if, you know, if the construction cycle six months, you, know, you can usually sell a house and get out of it. But what kills you is the land and the lots on a homeowner's mm. balance sheet. So, so what's, what happens is that all the builders have over the last, and we've been doing this, we, we were providing non-recourse off-balance sheet financing to U.S. Homes, which was a public builder back in the early 80s. And so 
we've been doing this a long time and we've seen the rules change for what needs to be off balance sheet, what the, you know, mm-hmm. what they call off balance sheet. And, and one of the biggest impacts on that, it was Enron, the Enron situation. Yep. But so we've seen the rules change over the years, but basically, so that's a big part of our business and the lot development business is a volatile business with major swings. We had the, in the eighties, as we were talking about earlier, when interest rates, mm-hmm. rose, tax laws changed, then they had all the SNLs jumped in the business and over, they oversupplied every real estate development product almost across the country, even though Houston and Texas was probably one of the epicenter of that or one of the worst markets. But uh, so we went through that cycle, that that severe down cycle. And then we've been through the severe down cycle of, you know, 08, 9, 10, 11, you know, maybe 7, 8, 9, 10, or, but the Great Recession. So and we've seen massive, you know, defaults because of land and lots in the banking system and in in the home builder network, you know, in the home building industry, uh, in those two down cycles. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, the capital of savings and loans and banks back in the early eighties was, you know, twenty to one, five percent. Today it's ten to one or ten percent. So that's been one of the results that, you know, that's through regulation. But and you know, there's banks are a lot more conservative today. So this is a long answer to your question. So where the industry's evolved to today is that you have basically banks on one side and you have private equity on the other side. And then I guess if you go down the cycle a bit, you do get in some hard money lenders from time to time. But And we have tried to position ourselves between the banks and the hard money lenders. Excuse me, the banks and the private equity. So, so our pricing on our loans is more than the banks, but less than the private equity. And, but our leverage is low. Our leverage, you know, what we finance as a percent of cost, we'll finance a higher percent of cost than the banks will, but we won't go as high as private equity does. Today, okay. Typically. So we kind of find ourselves in between the two. Okay. And so with that, you know, every loan we make is a non-recourse loan, but and every loan we make is to a single asset, single purpose entity that's established to buy a piece of land and develop it and sell it to a home builder. And okay. so every one of those single asset, single purpose entities needs what I call sponsors. I mean, you have to have someone that accounts for everything. You have to have someone that puts up the equity. Yeah, you know, that could be a group or two two or three groups. But anyway, you gotta have some you gotta have a group or someone putting up the equity. You gotta have someone that's got development experience and knowledge and capability. So, you know, and mm-hmm. the development sponsor. And then you gotta have a home builder that's gonna buy the lots and take them down and you know, can build them out that you're mm-hmm. confident about. So I call those kind of like the sponsors, you know, okay. you someone that, that can run all that, that can kind of oversee all that and make sure it's all happening. So, so every time we do uh, make a loan to a new entity, it, we've got a different group of sponsors, Okay, uh, but some of the biggest sponsors in, in, in our, in our lending platform are, 
the largest public home builders in the country and some of the largest private home builders in the country. And some of the largest public home builders, I don't know if you've seen their capitalization nowadays, but it's it's significant and their leverage is low, you know. So it's been a pretty remarkable to see what's happened to the home building industry over my, you know, 35 years in it. So, or more, but so, so, so I don't know if that helps describe kind of where we are positioned. No, it does. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And thank you for that clarification. So you're really between the bank and like the private equity firms. Yeah. Your, Uh, your rates are between them and your, you know, amount of money you'll lend them is between them. Right. Right. You'll lend more than the banks and. Yeah, yeah, lend more on any one project typically than the banks do. But the other thing we can do is that we've closed now in this, in the, you know, 20, excuse me, (laughs) well, since 1994, we've closed, I believe it's uh, right around 1,200 sub, you know, non recourse residential lot development loans. Oh, wow. I I think it's close to $4 billion probably maybe a little bit more than that now. And so what we've, that's more probably than anyone in the country and over a longer period of time, probably than most anyone in the country today. And so we can, you know, have a 10 minute conversation with most of our borrowers and pretty much tell them what we'll do and go close it in three weeks. If everyone, if, if the borrowers are, efficient and getting us the, everything we need. So you can't get that in the banking world today. I mean, it's very difficult to find that. Sure. You know, the banking world has gotten so regulated that it's just difficult to do. Mm-hmm. And so that's one thing that separates us from the banks and is that. So a little bit more money, we're easier to deal with. We make faster decisions. You know, any of our borrowers can call me up at any time and get me on the phone. And, and then one of the things we pride ourselves on is our ability to work through issues with our borrowers. We want every one of our borrowers to be successful or as successful as they can. So I think out of the 1,200-ish or so loans that we've made, uh, we've had, I believe it's eight foreclosures. Oh, and wow. I, I would tell you that probably not one of those eight foreclosures would tell you that we were a bad partner as they work through troubles. We try to bring solutions. And it gets back to, as I told you earlier, my, the first decade, in the, I was a lender for two or three years, and I spent the next decade cleaning up problems. Right, um, right. And so that's really my strength, and that's really what we bring to our borrowers, is a depth of knowledge and experience cleaning up problems and a willing, and we want them to be as successful as they can. So, so you know, we've, uh, like I said, those eight foreclosures. Uh, I don't think any of them would tell you that we were bad partners going through difficult times. Hmm. And uh, wow, that seems like just an extraordinarily low number. So, what I'd like to do now, I can't believe how the time is has let, flown. Let me let me oh, go ahead. real quick. That, yeah. Those eight foreclosures doesn't mean that was our only eight problems. Understood. A, a lot more problems, but only eight of them wound up in foreclosure. So. Now, thank you for that, that clarification. Sure. 
So to better, you know, kind of understand it at an even deeper level, what I'd like you to do if you could, and you can do this anonymously, right? You don't have to, you know, share the name of the lender or even what state they're in. But what I'd like would be like a story or two that would illustrate why, you know, partnering up with your team is maybe advantageous in certain circumstances. So can you think of a of an example or two over the last couple of years where, you know, maybe somebody came to you that was trying to get a loan done at a bank, but the thing had just drug out so long and they were just out of time and they ended up with you or just, I just always like uh, kind of real life stories. Do a couple of stories come to mind that kind of accentuate the value that you can offer? Well, I would just say that, I mean, you know, our two biggest sponsors are one of the largest public home builders in the country and one of the largest private home builders in the country. Okay. And we've done you know, maybe maybe we're approaching a hundred deals, you know, or so with those guys. Okay. And it's because I mean they have access to capital everywhere. And uh, you know, like I said, some of these home builders have a, you know, a point, a twenty percent debt to worth ratio, mm-hmm. billions of dollars of billions of dollars of assets, and so why do they come to us? Well, the reason they come to us is what I said. I mean, we can have a quick conversation. We know what we're talking about. We can tell them what we'll do, and we can close in three weeks. And we can I do see. that over and over and over and over. And so, you know, that's really the best success story we have is that we've got these relationships, many of them we've been doing business with off and on for, you know, since our days at Farm and Home or Mm -hmm. even before that at First Continental REIT. There's some of these guys that these companies, you know, there's not many that were around back then, but, uh, you know, people leave companies, people start new companies. And so we've got relationships that we've been doing business with going back, back to the you know mid early eighties. Okay. And, uh, and that to me is the best success story in our business is the history and the, and with our customers and our borrowers. And by the way, you know, I was thinking about this earlier, thinking about this call, but, you know, I mean, our business has to work for the builders and the developers, our customers, Mm -hmm. and then it has to work for our banks because we do leverage our way into what we do. Mm -hmm. And then it has to work for our owners of our company, our equity Mm -hmm. partners, and it has to work for our employees. So, you know... And let me say, our group of employees is remarkable, unbelievable. The experience and the and the dedication they bring is has been unbelievable. We've got I've got people working here with us that our history goes back to you know 1983. Oh wow! Uh, and yeah, and and I've got you know we've got a, a one of the things we really pride ourselves on is you know most of the people that work here with us if you know have come to us from someone else we've worked with and then they've been with us just a long time. Rarely have we, rarely do we get an employee. I don't think, I don't know that we've ever hired an employee from like a headhunter yet. Uh, we, oh, we might interesting. have at some point, but, but they kind of come from 
someone we've worked with in the industry. And then they typically come and have been here for a long time. We've got a fantastic, experienced, long-tenured group of people. Mm-hmm. And it's one, of, it's one of my pleasures and blessings in life has been the groups, the, this group of people here that we work with. Kind of back to what we were talking about with partners. They had people that you wanted to hang out with. And sure. And so you know, that's, we've kind of had that same philosophy with our employees as we have with our, and I don't like the word employees for some odd reason, but uh, with our financial partners is our, you know, all of our coworkers here. Mm-hmm. So, so anyway, those are what I consider my biggest successes business-wise. No, thank you very much. I appreciate you sharing that and those insights. So I've just got about three more questions as we wrap up. So one is, you know, running an organization like this that goes through business cycles or that's certainly impacted by business cycles. What do you do to, for your own professional development and for your own you know, having other folks that you can bounce ideas off of that, you know, aren't at the company or partners of yours. Do you have any way to get outside kind of input and perspective on things? Oh, yeah. I think that's so, so important. And, uh, you know, one of my, I've been a member of Vistage for, I'm not sure how many years now, for a lot of years. And then, and there was a, I took a break. Uh, from them during the Great Recession, yeah. But then I was, I'd been a, I'd been a member of the Vistage Group before that. So anyway, I highly value that group and and the feedback I get from them and and Christine Spray, she's wonderful. Oh yeah, I think I've heard that. I think have I've heard her that. Before? I have met her before. <laughs> I, I know that lady. And so, is there anything in particular that you know? I know the. I think their tagline or one of their concepts is that it's lonely at the top. Is that you know kind of part of it is just having peers that you can talk to in a way that maybe you couldn't have some conversations with like employees. Like for example, if you were considering selling the business, that's not an idea. I'm guessing you could just bounce off of your employees without, you know, uh, well, let me tell concern. You what, yeah. I, I don't, that the lonely at the top doesn't really fit me. Okay. Uh, yeah. I would say for me, it's more, I love getting in that group and number one, seeing what, where we are with everyone in terms of their own individual economic cycle. And I like in trying to interpret that back to what's going to happen in the housing industry and the banking industry. But, but I also love just hearing everyone's issues, you know, mm-hmm. w- whatever it is that's on their mind that they're thinking that they're bringing to the group to help. It seems like every time I go to that, those meetings that I come back with, you know, two or three ideas or things I need to be thinking about and devote more attention to or time, you know, that, okay. that's the, probably the main thing I get out of the group and the advice and counsel. I'm very fortunate to, as I mentioned, have this spectacular group of partners and, you know, kind of my board. I, it's what we called our executive committee, but I've got some spectacular feedback from them. And there's not anything that I don't feel like I could talk to them about. And then, too, I've been able to sit on some of these other boards at these banks and savings and loans and mortgage companies over the years. And, and so it, that's been very beneficial, too. So in terms of 
you know, kind of personal development, business development. And, okay. And, uh, so, but, and then you mentioned the cycle and the economic cycles. And that, that was, you know, an economic major in college. I've always loved economics. And, but I always like to have multiple points. You know, I mean, I love getting what I'm getting from our business every day. And then I love Metro Study, which is, has been bought by, Stanley Wood, I believe it is. But anyway, they've gone through Zonda, I believe is what they're calling themselves now. But they do some fantastic work that's pretty granular on you know every lot sale and every subdivision, every home sale and every subdivision. Oh wow! And in, in a city, you know, and they do that for like forty cities around the country. Uh, oh really? So it's very granular. And then there's Zellman, who's more of a macro, at least in my mind, a little bit, but she does a gr- great job. So I love kind of following her and what she does. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I'm, I, that's one of the things I try to really spend a lot of time and attention on it too, is economic cycle where we're going. Every time we make a loan, it's kind of a, it's kind of a three year, you know, duration, mm-hmm. you know, two to three year duration. So, we're trying to, as early as we can, you know, see problems out there mm-hmm. and so we can make adjustments in our business. But so anyway, that's some of the things I focus on. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for that input as well. So I promised you that there'd be a couple of fun questions at the end. So are you ready for them? I guess. <laughs> as ready as you're going to be. Huh? So the first yeah. is, if you could go back in time and give some advice to your 25-year-old self, what advice might you give? Oh. Have fun. Okay. Uh, don't worry maybe so much. Okay. <laughs> enjoy uh, enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride yeah, a bit more. Yeah. No, yeah, I've enjoyed the ride. I've been very lucky. I've really enjoyed the ride. But, man, I tell you, you know, I'm always – I'm always looking for what's going to, the next problem, but, uh, it's, uh, you know, you just, you, you know, and I, I've been thinking about it a lot lately, you know, so many great people come through your life, both business professionally and friends and family. And uh, I've had the great blessing of a lot of great people. And it's so hard to, uh, to keep up with everybody and, you know, and so that, that, that would be, you know, just uh, enjoy those times with people. I think that's hmm. uh, so important. Yeah. Well, good. No, I, I think that would be great, great advice to yourself. And then the last one, and this one's even a more of a fun question. So we're both here in Houston, Texas. So the, it's just give me your gut level reaction here. So barbecue or Tex-Mex? Tex-Mex. Yeah. I would not disagree with that. Yeah. I grew up eating El Patio. To me, that's comfort food. So, oh, you uh, mean also known as Club No Minor? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Club No Minor. And, uh, yeah. I have, I've enjoyed some time at that fine establishment over at Westheimer and Windrock, I believe right. is where they're located. Right. So uh, I can't believe how the time has flown by. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you wish I had or I should have? You know, the only thing I might add to it all is that I, didn't, I probably didn't put enough time on it is how, you know, wonderful, you know, trying to keep good balance and how fantastic I've enjoyed my family and my wife. 
Okay. I've been married 33 years and my, my four kids are all enjoying them and my new grandson, but he's a one year old now, but Oh, but, congratulations. Uh, I just want to tell all them, yeah, thank you, thank you. But I want to thank them and uh, and say that's probably been my greatest achievement in life is being able to hang out with them. And uh, I'm glad I haven't just thoroughly enjoyed my family. So I got to give that a little time in there. And my wife, well, she's spectacular. Well, that's, I really am glad that you, you mentioned that because yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about the people, right? And it is. And, and 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 it's great that you've enjoyed, you know, a great relationship with your family. You know, you know, you get to be our age, and not everybody's been that fortunate, right? Some you know folks right. aren't. Some guys aren't married to their first wife, and so that's always great when you've yeah. when you could can enjoy the fruits of your labor with your family. Absolutely, yeah. That's been one of the great blessings of my life. So. Well, that is great. Well, with that, why don't we wrap things up? And and again, John, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to 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 talk to me and teach me a little more about about the lending business for developers and builders. And well, I just really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, my pleasure, and thank you so much for taking the time to to listen. I appreciate it. Thank you oh, so much. My pleasure, and you have a great day. All right, thank you. And there we have it. Another great episode on the Christine Spray Show. Don't forget to check out the show notes at christinespray.com. And you can find out more about how we can be a resource to you at strategiccatalystinc.com. All the best in your continued success until the next time we talk.